Welcome to Gospel City Church. Lyrics we just sang, this babe wrapped in a cloth is the incarnate word of God. All the kingdoms and its powers resting now in this child. That changes everything, doesn't it? Wonderful lyrics, so worshipful, and I pray that that's where your focus has been. Praise God for our focus being drawn there this morning on this third Advent Sunday. But right now, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 10 and 11. And today we are closing our time in the prologue of the book of Genesis. We're going to rest in Genesis for a while, uh, take, our, take a, a break from Genesis. If you remember, we said at the beginning, Genesis 1 through 11 is really the prologue. It's, it's the start. It's the history of creation. It's the history of mankind. And then when it gets to chapter 12, it sort of shifts to the history of Israel. And that begins with Abraham, and that runs its way through the rest of the Bible. We're going to come to 12 through 50 later in our journey. You may have seen in the Gospel City Gazette, we're going to go to the Gospel of John in the new year. And I'm really excited about that, to, to lock into the Gospel. And uh, as I'll share my heart a little bit more with you at the end of the service, perhaps, on that. But looking forward to it. But in the future... Over the next couple of years, we'll come back and we'll do a, a, a series on Abraham and Jacob and Esau and Joseph from the book of Genesis. Those are very important sections of scripture that we want to look at. But man, we have answered so many questions, haven't we? In Genesis 1 through 11, I, I pray that you are better for studying this. I certainly am. But we, we came into it asking a lot of questions. Who is God? Where did God come from? Who is man? How did sin get here? What is temptation? Who is Satan? What does death look like? What does the wrath of God look like? How is God able to save from his wrath that is being poured out? So many foundational questions have been answered in Genesis 1 through 11. And now as we come to the end of the first 11 chapters, I think this is the most appropriate way to close the prologue of Genesis. Obviously, God thought so because that's why he put it there. But I've been thinking about it all week long. And, and at the core of the Tower of Babel, which we'll look at in, in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 11 today, we see a sin that is a problem for all of us, for all of mankind. Ever since the beginning of the world, when sin came into the garden, the problem has been the same for you and for me and for all of mankind. It is the sin of pride. And Genesis 1 through 11 has shown us the magnitude of an all-powerful, all-creating God, and it's showing us the devastation of the sinfulness of mankind. You, you've probably already have seen the pattern, haven't you, in Genesis? God instructs and man disobeys and, and man destroys and God preserves, and it goes on and on and on throughout the rest of the Bible. But what I want you to see today is that at the core of man's problem is a pride so deep that often we don't see it. And often we live in it as we try to replace God with our own desires, with our own lives and initiatives. And so the big idea that I want to draw out of this, I've been just thinking about it all week. It's fairly simple, but it's this. Building your name is pointless, so boast in Christ alone. Building your name is pointless, but it'll be a temptation for as long as you live on this earth. So boast in Christ alone. 
Now we're gonna do due diligence to the scriptures and we're gonna read chapter 10 today. Some of y'all have asked like, how did Mitch get the genealogy and how did Brent get the Nephilim and the drunken naked Noah? You can call that whatever you want. Uh, I call it providence. Maybe it's just great leadership on my part, passing those off. But uh, today we're gonna do due diligence and read the word of God because it's there. And so I want you to get your eyes on a copy of God's word and let's look at chapter 10 together. Now hear the word of the Lord. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras, the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma, the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca, the sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dadan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kauna in the land of Shinar. And that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehobothar, Kala, and Reason between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabehim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, Kasluhim, from the Philistines came, and Kaphtorim. Verse 15, Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Archites, and the Sinites, and the Arvidites, and the Zemurites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hal, Gether and Mash, Mash is a great name. Verse 24, Arpachshad fathered Shelah and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The son of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided and his brother's name was Joktan. <clears throat> Joktan fathered Almadad, Sheleph, Hasmarveth, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. 
The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, by their languages, their lands and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad to the earth after the flood. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now... The whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a time of worship and adoration where we have journeyed to your feet to declare worthy you are worthy of your name. Lord, we approach your holy word this morning saying the same things in our hearts. We say that you are worthy. We say that you are lovely. We say that you are pure. We say that you are holy. And we thank you that though the grass withers and though the flowers fade, we praise you that the word of God stands forever. And so Holy Spirit, would you allow your word to speak to our hearts today? Would you open our minds? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts to receive your correction and your reproof and your training for righteousness? Would your word cut to our hearts today? And would it transform us by the renewing of our mind today? And would it challenge us to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called that you might receive the glory, honor, power, and praise? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Building your name is pointless, so carry and build and boast in Christ alone. Now, if you were reading Genesis 1 through 11 without any context of the rest of the Bible, you're reading chronologically. When you get to 11 verse 1, you might assume after everything I just read that there is a contradiction in the Bible. Okay, let me, let me point it out to you. Look at 11 verse 1. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And there's really no problem with that, except if you were paying close attention, as I read through chapter 10, look back at say chapter 10, verse five. After giving us the sons of Japheth, he, he says, from these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans. Or if you jump down to Verse 20 or verse 31, look at verse 31. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and their languages, their land and their nations. 
So you're probably thinking like, what's up with that? Why, like did Moses forget what he just told us in chapter 10? And now he's telling us, he's like, I'll start over. No, that's not, Moses didn't forget. And remember, God is the author of this. So God places things perfectly. So it's my job as the Bible reader to get into the mind of the author. What is the author trying to tell us as he paints the story, the narrative of sin on the earth and, and God's judgment and God's grace throughout scripture. And, and here's the way that I've come to think about it this week. Have you ever watched a movie where, you, where the start of the movie begins with a scene from the end of the movie? Have you ever seen a movie like that? Like the movie starts and it, it gives you like this dire situation or this kind of crazy situation with the main character and you're like, wow, that escalated quickly. How did we get to that point? And then what happens? The movie flashes back and it tells a story that leads up to that big end scene and then it resolves. Okay, that's basically what Moses is trying to do. The reason a movie starts like that is because it's trying to raise questions in your mind as the one watching the movie. I, I believe that's exactly what Moses is trying to do for us. Where did these people come from is the question you should be asking as I read all those crazy names in chapter 10. And how on earth did they get dispersed all over the face of the planet? And where did their languages come from? If everyone descended from one little family, why all of a sudden are they all speaking in different languages? And do they have clans and do they have tribes? How did that work? It creates all these questions. Also, I think it raises our anticipation after you read chapter 9. Remember, chapter 9, that's what God told them to do. Hey, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, spread out across the earth. So you get to chapter 10. Let's just set Noah's drunken escapade aside for a moment. Sure, he was an imperfect guy. He made a mistake. But you get to chapter 10 and you're like, wow, we're getting it finally. Like the world is moving on in obedience. The world is full of people. And, and finally, we're doing what God asked us to do. Eh, wrong. And if it ever appears like the Bible is speaking about man in, in positive progress, just keep reading because it wants to show you that man does not have it all together. Yes, God commanded Noah to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Yes, chapter 10 shows us a world where people have multiplied and filled the earth, but we see in chapter 11 that it was not a result of man's obedience at all but rather a result of God's just judgment due to their disobedience once again. Moses constantly elevates and paints for us the glory and the perfection of Elohim and yet the destructive disobedience of mankind. He keeps showing God's will being done while man's plans are thwarted as they continually do what is right in their own eyes. It should already be convicting to us that obedience brings joy, disobedience brings destruction. But a couple more observations from chapter 10. Remember, Pastor Brent told us this is like the table of nations. It's not chronological. It's not even a typical genealogy because it's giving us all of Noah's sons and their sons. And so it's just kind of naming all of the descendants that came from all of these different sons. It's really the oldest ethnological list that we have, one of them. But we see the fruition of Noah's blessing and curse from Genesis chapter 9. Remember his son Ham was cursed in Genesis 9 
for dishonoring his father in the tent. But did you notice the names in chapter 10 that came from Ham? Let me read you some of the names. The Egyptians came from Ham, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Babylonians. And they had that guy Nimrod who who founded Babylon and then later founded Nineveh. And we had the Assyrians. Those sound like familiar names to you, right? If you've read the Bible, if you've read the Old Testament, because these are the most wicked, evil enemies of Israel all throughout the Bible. Ham dishonored Noah, and clearly the cursed line of Ham is the line of the serpent continuing in the world. And what do we get from the seed of Satan? We get evil, godless, God-hating nations tracing back to the line of Ham, but ultimately tracing back to the Garden of Eden when God said that the seed of the woman will eventually crush the seed of the serpent. There's gonna be two different lines going out in the world. One's gonna lead to life. One's gonna lead to death. Clearly, we see the line leading to death coming from Noah's son, Ham. But God's also preserving as sin appears to continue to prevail from the line of Shem would eventually come Abram, who is eventually called by God in Genesis chapter 12. He becomes Abraham and from Abraham would come a great nation that the Lord would bless and preserve until the seed of the woman finally comes to rescue people from every tribe, every tongue and every nation. But without the full story, all right, we're Bible people. So we understand the full scope of the story. If you were just reading Genesis 1 through 11 and you got to chapter 11, you wouldn't be thinking about this seed that would come to rescue every tribe, tongue, and nation. You would be saying, how on earth did we get tribes, tongues, and nations? And that takes us to chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. And I I have a couple points. I couldn't get away from this this one word this week and I, I wrestled with using it. But I was like, it just preaches so hard and it preached to me all week long. So forgive me for the layman's terms in our points today. But point number one is this, man is intelligent, but pride makes him stupid. Man is intelligent, but pride makes him stupid. Look at verses one through four in chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now I see two massive things in those four verses. The first thing that I see is the intelligence of man. I see the ability of man in those verses, the craftsmanship of man, the creativity of man. Isn't it mind blowing to you that that long ago, they're like, hey, let's take some rocks, let's burn them, turn them into bricks. Let's use some bitumen, which is like a tarish material. And then we'll be able to build a tower with this type of thing. No problem with that. that that's, that's creative ingenuity stamped inside of you as a created individual. And, and I think it translated because as Moses is writing this and reading this to the people of Israel in the wilderness, they would have been like, wow, I, I know what he's talking about because we were doing that for the Egyptians. We we're building pyramids with that type of material. But you know what they would have been thinking? How on earth did they do that all the way back then? And you know what I'm thinking? 
how did the people of Israel and Egypt do that all the way back then without dump trucks and, and all the things that we have today? And it made me think of, of when I went to Greece and I was standing on Mars Hill and I'm looking at the Parthenon and the Acropolis and the temple of Nike. And I'm like, man, how on earth did they chisel all of that intricate design and architecture so long ago? Because God has made man intelligent. And God, who is a creative God and is a, is a creator, he has given each of us gifts so that we can use our gifts to reflect his glory on the earth and to make much of Jesus. Now, I also see in this chapter, these first four verses, I see the intelligence of man, but then I see the stupidity of pride, the stupidity of disobedience, the stupidity of trying to make something of yourself instead of trying to make much of the name of Yahweh. And that'll preach this morning because if anything is true about each of us, it is that we have been given amazing gifts and abilities, but we will always be tempted to be glory robbers instead of glory givers. And you can see the intent of these glory robbers in these first four verses, all right? Let me just pull it apart. Look at, at verse four. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. I don't have a lot of problem with that. Building a big tower, building a city, using your God-given ingenuity and creativity to do that, that's awesome. If I'm building a Lego tower with my children, guess what? I'm building that sucker as high as I possibly can. I mean, the higher, the better. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna stack it up real high. But there is a subtle problem in this, in this sentence, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Does that sound familiar to, to you at all? Think about Genesis chapter one. When was the last time you, you heard, come, let us do something? Referring to the Trinity, right? In Genesis 1, 27. And, and God says, come, let us make man in our own image. God at the beginning of creation wants to create man to reflect the image of God. And now here we are after the flood and sinful man says, come, let us make a city and a tower that doesn't reflect the glory of God, but reflects the glory of man that reflects our name and fame on the earth. That's what they were after. It says, let us make a name for ourselves in verse four. The root of pride is at the center of these builders. They're after fame, they're after a big stage, they're after accolades and popularity and a legacy that would leave their name and lights forever, even after they're gone. We don't need God. We can stake our claim right here without God in this city, in this tower that we build. Look at the next line of chapter four. It says, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And here is the ultimate issue. This is defiant disobedience to what God has asked man to do. Genesis chapter nine, verse one. After the flood, Noah and his family get off the ark. God is reestablishing his covenant with Noah. And God says, God blessed Noah, just like he blessed Adam in the garden and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Even at the end of God's instruction in verse seven, God said, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Now, why are they, why are these city builders seeking to make a name for themselves 
lest they be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. I mean, it's a repeat of the Garden of Eden. God blessed Adam. God blessed Noah. God told Adam uh, not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God tells Noah to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and reflect his glory. Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Noah's descendants don't spread and fill the earth, but rather they cluster because they know that together they're going to be more powerful and they can accomplish more. And, And both were attempts to be their own God due to their own human pride, which Satan primarily preys on in all of us. Satan wants you to think that you can live your life without Elohim and that you can be your own God. So do what makes you happy. Do what leaves your names in lights. Do what makes you feel good. God commands and man elevates his own desires. And here we go again. Takes you to point number two this morning, and it's this. Man's prideful efforts are embarrassing compared to God. Man's prideful efforts are embarrassing compared to God. Look at verse five in chapter 11. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. I I, I love this. Thought about it all week. Have laughed at it all week. Moses is obviously writing out of sarcasm as he describes this historical moment of man's depravity on display. Remember, God is omniscient. He, he, he knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. He, he, he can see everything. He even sees you this morning. God knows who his children are in this room. He knows those of you who have not surrendered your lives to follow Christ, to make Jesus Lord of your life. He sees our hearts. He sees right through our religious facades that we put on whenever we come and go and do the things that Christianity tells us to do without a heart surrendered to him. So there's no fooling God ever, but Moses exposes the embarrassment of man's prideful attempt to build a tower of fame to the heavens when he writes, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. These people's massive tower was so unimpressive to God, he couldn't even see it from his throne in heaven. He had to, he had to get down off of his throne and, and get down like I get down to see my son's Lego tower. And he said, boy, you built that? That is a cute looking tower. Good job. Wow. I mean, it's comical. It's comical to think about God stooping so low. That which man worked so hard to build, this tower that reaches to the heavens, God has to come down just to even get on the level of of that thing, that thing that you worked so hard on, that thing that you put so much stock in and pride in. And that's because the glory of God dwarfs man's greatest accomplishments makes them look so small. And so it's so applicational and, and it should cause us to check our hearts this morning as we've come into the house of the Lord. What are you putting way too much stock in regarding your life? Are you working to build your own success and accolades and fame? Are you working to preserve your own reputation and success? Are you finding your value in what others think of you or in what God says about you? 
And like these glory robbing city builders, we can build our own prideful towers in this life. What are the towers that you have built in your life? What are the things that you pat yourself on the back for? What are the things that you get uptight about whenever they get disturbed? Maybe you've aimed to get your bank account to a right amount so that you can have security. And, and, and I'm living for that. I'm driving for that. No, don't let anything mess with that. I got to have this at the, the exact number. Maybe your house being pristine and perfect is more about you feeling good and comfortable than it is about you being a light to the people that God has placed you around, to the neighborhood that God has placed you in where you are called to be salt and light in the world. I was thinking about this. I think our ability to have knowledge at the tip of our fingers at any point in any day is a tower of Babel in our society. I mean, think about it. You can ask Siri anything 24 hours, 24 seven. I mean, I don't need God. I don't need a pastor. I can look up everything I need to know right here. I don't need a doctor. I can look it all up right here. Every question I've ever had, I have at my fingertips. And so we rule our lives because we think we have all the knowledge that we need. I don't need a tree of knowledge of good and evil. I got Apple. I got the internet now. The entertainment industry is a tower of Babel that is subtly pacifying us and lulling us into a complacency that avoids the theology of suffering. All throughout scripture, it says that, that, that believers, followers of Christ share in the sufferings of Christ. I, I wanna follow God. I wanna go to a nice church. I wanna get dressed up for Christmas. I don't need all that suffering stuff though. I mean, this is like the 21st century in America. The church is just different now. I don't need the sufferings of Christ. Like I can drive into my garage and I can shut the door and I can go in and I can eat whatever I want and I can turn on Netflix and Disney Plus and YouTube TV and, and oh, I got Netflix too. And I can just lull myself away from, from the, the, the sufferings of this world and, and the things that are going on in this world and the persecution that's happening in other countries and in other places. I don't have to bother myself with anything unless of course it benefits me and then I can order it on Amazon and it'll show up at my door 10 minutes later. <laughs> Comfort is a tower of Babel in America and entitlement is a result of the towers of Babel we've created and all of it is embarrassing compared to the glory of God. And, and our pursuit of these things, whether active or passive, you're either actively running after these things or you're passively drifting toward them because of the course of this world, because of the temptations of Satan, because of your own sinful flesh and nature that opposes the, the spirit of God within you, you will not drift toward righteousness. You will undoubtedly drift toward pride and self-righteousness. And our pursuit of these things are a result of our own pride to seek our idols rather than God, to seek our accomplishments, to seek our bank accounts, to seek our homes with security systems so that we feel uh, uh, preserved and, and, and like nothing can touch us. We have our social media platforms which serve as like personal trophy cases for all of our best accomplishments in this life regardless of how we feel. And all of it, God stoops down to our level and says, that's cute. 
You built that? Wow, good job. Now, I, I want you to hear me this morning because I'm going, and, and I've been just thinking about this in my own life this week, but it's not wrong to be in the position that you're in. It's not wrong to have the job that you have or, or the things that God has blessed you with. God is the giver and the giver is good. James 1.17 says, every good and every perfect gift comes from above. But if what you have has you, then you are in real danger of being made a fool in this life. If what you're living for, what you're accumulating is a prideful grasp for your own name and fame, then you are the one in danger of being made to feel small. You are moving toward the end of your life, protecting and praising something that will embarrass you compared to the glory of God. So we have to be careful about what we boast in. We don't boast in ourselves. We don't boast in our pride. We don't boast in our accomplishments. We boast in the name of the Lord our God. Look at verse six, it goes on. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So understand, God's not threatened by mankind. This isn't a moment of fear where God's like, ah, man's getting so powerful and so smart that I'm gonna get overthrown. Remember, God sits in the heavens and he laughs at this kind of stuff. He, he laughs at our attempts to cut him out and to be God and to rule our own nations and build our own cities. But God knew that if, if, if they never dispersed and if they never filled the earth, and if they just kept clustering and growing, then their pride would eat one another alive. There would be no mankind. Could you imagine if there was one massive super nation, we would all hate each other and kill each other. And we would have no boundaries that set us apart, no governments put in place to keep us from devouring one another. That leads us to point number three this morning, and it's this, God's glory prevails and pride makes man look like the stupid one. God's glory prevails, and pride makes man look like the stupid one. Verse seven, come let us go down and there, confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. Now we see the power of the Trinity once again. Come let us go down there, get on their level, and we'll show them who truly is God, who truly does hold the power. And we're going to confuse their languages. If you've ever wondered where languages came from, right there. Genesis chapter 11. And we all descend from the same people, but our sinful pride first got us washed away in a worldwide flood. And then we still didn't learn and it got us separated. It got us segregated, divided, and dispersed against our will. And could you just imagine this scene? Just imagine the, these, these brilliant, intelligent city builders communicating with one another as they build this impressive tower. And then all of a sudden, zap, they're unable to communicate. Coming out of their mouth is just a bunch of jibber jabber. They just start talking and, and it sounds like incoherent babble. I mean, could you imagine how crazy that would be? Way more, it packs way more of a punch than if, if your row this morning 
all started speaking a different language because you at least have some context for what a different language is. You could probably like pick out, oh, that person's speaking Spanish, that person's speaking, speaking German. All of a sudden, boom, everybody just speaking different languages, can't communicate, sounds like incoherent babble and intelligent mankind all of a sudden looked really, really dumb. So go to verse eight. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, just let me give you a few notes from the Tower of Babel that show that these glory robbers, anyone stealing from the glory of God will end up looking like a fool in this life. The first thing, all they wanted to do was make a name for themselves and their names ain't even mentioned in chapter 11. <laughs> it says, come, let us build a city. They put their heads together and they build a tower. We will build a name for ourselves. And after Moses recorded 100 plus names in chapter 10, the people trying to build a name for themselves didn't even get their name written down in the chapter that's about them. I mean, it is a literary punch in the face from Moses to show that you stealing from the glory of God will make you look like a fool. Your name will not be remembered. Rather, you will leave, leave a legacy of foolishness. The second thing that we see, they knew they were stronger together, so they did not desire to disperse, which was a direct defiance to God's command to them. Remember, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But at the end of this, what God commanded happened. The earth was filled with people, but not by man's obedience. It was through the just judgment of God once again. So God's way is the only way. You getting to God on your terms, not gonna work. You trying to come to God based on what you can build, what you can do, not gonna work. You trying to recreate Eden by building a massive tower to the heavens and climb your way to God, not gonna work because you can't get to God. And so whatever you pour into your life and whatever you build yourself up with, your good works, it will all come crashing down when you stand before the glory of God. So you must come to God on his terms, his way. The third thing we notice, observation, is that they had unity of thought and communication that was turned to incoherent chaos. And it is nothing for God to show you how small you are. Nothing. <laughs> Worship makes us small. That's what we, we were intended to be in this posture with God. I, I'm bowed down. Uh, my eyes, my face is fully turned toward God. My hands are raised in surrender because I know that God could wipe me out at any point in this relationship. And so this is where I need to be with God. I'm small, I'm bowed down. And yet pride makes us well up. Pride makes us think we're big. Pride makes us think we're something. And so we try to bring what we think is something to God. And it's embarrassing compared to his glory. The last observation, the name these city builders are remembered for is Babel. It sounds like what happened their plan was thwarted as they left like babbling fools. But everywhere else in the Old Testament, Babel translates to the word Babylon. And the name of Babylon is remembered throughout history and throughout the rest of the Bible. They got a legacy and it was one of godless darkness and evil that promises to be overthrown 
in the last days. You want a legacy for yourself? It promises to be overthrown in the last days if every knee does not bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You can only get to God on his terms. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Not through some tower, not through your own accolades. You come through the means that God provides. So building your name is pointless, but we are to boast in Christ alone. Here's where I want to close this morning. Let me close by showing you the glory of Christ in all of this. Yes, God casts judgment and put languages on the earth as these glory robbers tried to steal his glory. He confused them in their languages and dispersed them over the face of the planet. But God's grace will shine all the more when he saves people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. God's just setting the stage for the seed of the woman who would come. God was setting the stage for you all the way back then when he zapped those glory robbers with with languages and dispersed them due to their disobedience. Think about it. What magnifies the name of Jesus Christ more? Him saving one nation or him saving many nations? It magnifies the Lord so much more that he would save every tribe, every tongue, every language and nations. And God scattered mankind in judgment, but God was setting the stage for his beloved son to bring grace and redemption to the nations so that his glory truly would fill the earth. And so Psalm 96.10 proclaims, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. He will judge the world in righteousness and his peoples in faithfulness. Languages were confused in judgment at the Tower of Babel, but 3,000 years later, 50 days after the risen Christ ascended back into heaven came the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came and every language that was present began proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ. They began proclaiming the, the mighty works of God as the Holy Spirit filled the church. They, they didn't just proclaim the mighty works of God in the Hebrew language, which historically that was the only language that you praised God in. But when Jesus came, when the Holy Spirit indwelled the church, Every language began proclaiming the mighty works of God. And it was a testimony that God is a God of the nations, that God has come. The gospel has come to reach you. The gospel has come to break down walls and break down barriers. And God would draw sons and daughters from every tribe, every language, and every nation. Language came through judgment, but Christ made language a testimony of his grace. I gotta give my, my wife props. She's, she's great at using the Advent season to, to help direct our attention to Jesus. And we often do devotions each night throughout the Advent season. And, and uh, my wife's really good at keeping that on track. And this year we've been doing a few different ones and we had a new one this year that we've never done before. And uh, I noticed over the nights, just laying on the floor as my wife was reading, to our family about different languages and, and different countries. 
And the devotions are about how, you know, Jesus infiltrated a certain country and how the name of Jesus and the church and about what the church is doing in that particular country. And each night, along with the devotion, comes an ornament. And on that ornament is the name of Jesus in that country's specific language. And so each of our kids, each night, they take one of those ornaments and they hang it on the tree. And I was looking at that tree last night and I saw all these letters and hieroglyphics and things that I don't really understand. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at those, but I, I know that those words mean something to someone in a foreign place because it's the name of Jesus and they have called out and they have cried out to him and they have bowed the knee to him. And the church is being built in another nation because Christ came at Christmas and Christ died on a cross and Christ rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit filled us that we might have life. I was also thinking about how I have brothers and sisters around the world because they've been adopted by the same father that I've been adopted by. The way that they cry out to Jesus sounds different than the way that I cry out to Jesus, but by the grace of God, he can discern it all and we can all come by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And what a glorious thought it is that God is building a name for Jesus in every tribe, tongue, and nation. Can you imagine the heavenly places? Can you imagine when we finally get there? Can you imagine when we finally get back to the Eden, the better Eden, the Eden where Jesus is ruling like a lamb who was slaughtered and a lamb who was slain and a lamb who has risen from the grave. Revelation 5, 9 through 10 says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Revelation 7 goes on to say, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. They are crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Whose name will we proclaim in that place? Say it, Jesus. Whose name will be remembered in that place? Jesus. Whose name will we praise in that place? Jesus. And that's because Philippians 2 says that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue on heaven and on earth confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Building your name is pointless, so boast in Christ alone. Come on, let's go to prayer together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your son, your beloved son, who you sent so long ago, even as we read this morning at the proper time you sent forth your son into the world to be born of a virgin to be born under the law to redeem those who are under the law lord that is us lord we, we collectively ask for forgiveness this morning for our pride we collectively ask for forgiveness this morning because so often we have 
tried to live our lives based on what we could gain. So often we have tried to live our lives cutting you out and moving forward in our own accolades and success and reputation. But Lord, it proves futile. We desire to come to you on your terms today. So Lord, would you, by your grace, by your spirit, reveal the things in our hearts that we have propped up, the towers that we have built in place of the throne that should be on our heart. And Jesus, would you have the rightful place Would you remind us over and over again that it's always only Jesus, that only Jesus is worthy of our lives, that only Jesus is worthy of our song and our affection and our adoration. And would that overflow into everything else? Would you help us, your people, to seek first the kingdom of heaven, knowing that everything else will be added unto us. Forgive us for seeking lesser things. Forgive us for grasping onto lesser things. Would we continue to decrease that Jesus might increase in our lives? And would you receive the glory that you deserve? In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.